0: The Gospel lesson comes from the book of Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. Let us hear the words of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." Blessed are are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, hear our hearts today, that as we come before you in prayer and in thanksgiving, that we may reflect upon your words and their meanings in our life. Amen. As Tim mentioned, we're kind of walking through the Lord's Prayer over the next uh, five weeks. We've, we, last week we talked about the beginning of the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and so today we're going to be reflecting upon kind of the next section of that. Thy kingdom come. Um, as, as I looked at this, this is, you know, a small topic, easy to talk about, you know. Um, the kingdom of God and uh and we we say these words i mean we we think about saying the lord's prayer each week and i think part of the reason for for going through and really looking at this is because i don't know that we always are sure about what we're saying you know we we learn it because we learn it as children but um to really realize um Really the capacity for this prayer and, and, and what it can mean in our lives and in the life of this world is something that I think is important for us to reflect upon. And especially as we think about um, thy kingdom. The kingdom language was probably fairly familiar to those in biblical times, but I think we've kind of lost that understanding of that um... or at least it's you know we have we all have different understandings i was thinking about this when was the first time i can remember really using this word king and it was actually on the playground and we used to play a game called king of the hill did anybody ever play king of the hill yeah and, and it's one of those wonderful games parents love because it's the kind of game that it doesn't end because you just decide to stop playing it ends because someone is bleeding or hurt and so then you just stop playing the game because you're like oh we should go home and um, but king of the hill, if you don't know, you know, basically you would stand on a hill. And that you, and sometimes it would be like a jungle gym, if you're really daring. But, um, you know, you'd stand on the top of this hill. And people would try to come up and knock you down. So that they could be king. And I mean, and that's all it was. Over and over again, you just kind of... You'd, and, and depending on how many people it was, it would look like they're just coming upon you. And you're just, you know, batting them down. And this is my first image of a king. And if you think about that, th- that's interesting. <laughs> because, you know... This idea of being the strongest, having the ability to push people down so that you can stay on top—what a great image we teach our children with that game. And so I think about that. And then as I got older, I had other images of King, and, and particularly one that stands out in my mind that I think was I reflected more on was King Arthur. You know, the first time I think I saw anything about King Arthur was I saw the Sword in the Stone, the Disney movie, and um. And, and again, at that, the Disney movie really doesn't get into him as a king. It's just kind of talking about, you know, it's more about Merlin than King Arthur. And, um, but the, the next real time that I really dug into that was I had, you know, you have summer reading as, uh, in high school. Um, and I remember the year I had the Once and Future King. And I remember that year because I also had the Old Man and the Sea that year. And if you looked at the Old Man and the Sea, which it was about this thick, and the Once and Future King, which it was about this thick, I was like, shoot, I'm going to read The Old Man and the Sea, which took me forever to get through. Because, and no Hemingway, I love, but it was horrible. You know, and I was going, oh. And then I'm like, now I still have to read this gigantic book. Well, I just breezed through The Once and Future King. I mean, it was just fascinating, the story of King Arthur and and really the, you know, the the what that story is all about and and I think about, you know, what King Arthur really stood for was a very different kind of king than I had kind of previously understood. You know, the round table where all were equal. The idea of kind of being a servant to the people. And so when I really began to be engaged in church as a youth, and I'm given this image of, of Jesus as a king, well, this second approach really helped me understand that. But it wasn't about Camelot. Instead, Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God. And since I first heard of the kingdom of God, my understanding of that too has kind of shifted over the years. You know, when I thought about hearing about the kingdom of God, it was synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. And so it would be this kind of otherworldly place that we would go when we die. And, And I think when a preacher says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it does seem like this kind of ethereal place. And sometimes that's like weird to you or not. I don't know. I was in a disciple Bible study class once and we were talking about, you know, what we're doing on earth. I said, I think it's just about having the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And this woman was like, What? And for her it was like brimstone and fire, and I was like, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. And so it made me realize sometimes when we use these words, um, people don't quite understand or or have different images of that. You know, the kingdom of God that Jesus was preaching about was not this otherworldly one, but, but, but Jesus was talking about a present reality, that the kingdom of God is present, and that we as God's people have the ability to experience God's kingdom, not maybe in its fullness, but to experience God's kingdom in this place. I mean, the very essence of saying, thy kingdom come, means that we believe that we can experience God's kingdom here on earth. So as I I thought about this and I researched, one thing kept coming, uh, uh, happening over and over again. I'd hear this in, in commentaries and things, that in order for us to experience God's kingdom, we have to let go of our own desire to be king or to rule over our kingdoms. Sometimes we think in the same terms as we did when we were children on that hill, you know, looking down on our kingdom. The reason I say this is because the term that is often used when we speak about the kingdom of God is that we say we build up the kingdom of God. Have you ever heard that before? And we, we like that mentality because it gives us a sense that we have control of the kingdom of God. That fits into our mentality. We, we, we work in the world. We, it fits our need to accomplish and conquer, that we can make anything happen if we just will it to, so we can build the kingdom of God. You know, I, I heard a story once from a, a great uh, Norwegian scholar of small stature, uh, Tim Jurdy, and he... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was a story about how the people who climb... Mount Everest. When people from America or Europe come and other nations, they talk about climbing Mount Everest. They say they conquered Mount Everest. The natives and the chirpas who, who lead the expeditions up Everest say that they befriend the mountain. And, uh, and I think that's kind of a, a big difference in some of how we understand that king mentality. We conquer rather than befriend. We command rather than, than work beside or engage. You know, we live in a hierarchical world, a world with classes and statuses. And really, that's the worldly delineations of kingdoms. I mean, if you think about kingdoms, they, you know, they had very uh, um, specific roles in them. And you had specific power in each of those roles. And so we impose that worldly view onto the kingdom of God. We're still that kid on the top of the mountain trying to control our territory. And if it's in shambles, we're going to build it up ourselves. But you know, it says, thy kingdom come. And later in the Lord's Prayer, we say it again. Thine is the kingdom. It's God who has created this kingdom. It's God who gives us this kingdom to live in. We don't build it ourselves. Jesus never talked about building the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is present. And he was speaking to a people who had closed themselves off to it. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, gets so upset with the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. And part of that is here's a group of people who spent so much time interpreting the Bible in ways that controlled how the people acted. That no one ever had a chance to see the kingdom of God all around them. The Pharisees, with all good intentions, were telling the people how God worked, what God meant in the scriptures, how they needed to respond. They had control over what the kingdom of God meant to people. And Jesus came to change that perception, to allow people to experience God's love and grace. We have to relinquish control. We have to be reminded that thine is the kingdom, not mine is the kingdom. It's funny, I, I think throughout my time in churches, uh, I've gone to lots of meetings. And, um, and, and when we're in these meetings, people are discerning direction for ministries in the church. And by the end of the meeting, sometimes we haven't even prayed or taken any time to reflect or discern. Not once was there space given to contemplate what God might be dreaming for the church. Too often we forget that God's kingdom is a present reality, and we as a church are trying to engage that. Instead, we spend hours and hours trying to come up with our kingdom in the image of what we think God may desire. Soon, with good intentions, we've created a kingdom that we've built rather than engaging God's kingdom, listening to the Spirit. Jesus created the church that it could be Christ's body to the world, Christ's very presence the image of the kingdom. And this is what exactly what Jesus tried to preach and present to the people. I mean, think about Jesus' ministry on earth. There are some key elements that corroborate this understanding of how Jesus wanted us to engage the kingdom. First off, Jesus didn't sit preaching in a temple for his whole ministry. Jesus realized that simply hearing about the kingdom wasn't going to help people engage. Jesus had to show them He had to go out into the world and and point out to them the kingdom that was all around them. And think about how he did this. When people asked, what is the kingdom? Where do we find it? Did Jesus simply tell them? I read somewhere that there's only three times in the Bible where Jesus answers someone directly. (laughs) Jesus used parables. We want to know exactly what the kingdom looks like so we can somehow contain it or conquer it. Kind of like when Moses asked God the name of God on the mountain. And he tells them, you can tell them, I am. And this wasn't a non-answer. But in that time, being able to name someone gave you some kind of ownership or control over them. By speaking in parables, Jesus was making people think. Making the people have to see it for themselves. It wasn't something that someone could simply tell you plainly. Or even point out to you like it's a, a piece of art. The kingdom of God was all around and the people had to actively pursue it in order to understand it or engage it. Jesus speaking in parables reminded people that they didn't have the ability to create it or build it or even control the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. God has already done and is doing in the world. They have the ability to to be open and engage God in their lives. And we have the same option. When we say, thy kingdom come... It's a communal and personal call to experience the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We aren't saying, well, we're just going to sit here and wait for it to happen. We have a sincere desire to be an active role in God's kingdom, the body of Christ. And we have to understand that when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, Thy kingdom come, that that's what we're desiring. Something we're seeking. We must first know that the kingdom of God is a present reality then we must be willing to seek it through our actions and our world. But we know that the kingdom isn't always easy to see. I think I describe it as we have moment glimpses of God's kingdom throughout our lives and that helps us to grow and bear fruit. And sometimes they're quick and then fleeting other times we sustain those moments to last for years but these glimpses of the kingdom help us begin realizing and recognizing the kingdom in other places and in other lives. I remember there was this strange phenomenon that occurred when I was in high school. When I would meet someone new at a football game, we would say, oh, we've never met or seen each other. And then you'd see them the next day at school after third period, and you continue to see them after that and realize you've been seeing them the whole time you just didn't recognize. I think the kingdom of God kind of works in this way that we're not sure, and then we see it and we experience it, and all of a sudden we recognize that, oh, we've been seeing the kingdom of God right here. We've just never engaged it or done anything about it. So what does kingdom living look like exactly? Well, again, I don't think anyone can name that for us. I can tell you to look to the parables and the gospels as Jesus referenced these when preaching the kingdom of God. Stories. Stories. Stories of a father who accepts his son rather than shuns him, even when he squandered all his money. A shrewd manager who recognizes that demoralizing and being prejudiced against the poor is is not living in the kingdom. A shepherd who relentlessly pursues a lost sheep. Later in the Lord's Prayer, even, we get glimpses of kingdom living. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To be forgiven as we forgive. That's powerful. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this idea of the golden rule is in some form or another in almost every type of religion or faith in our world. But what's interesting that Jesus' statement about this rule is stated in the positive. So many are stated as, do not harm, do not do things. But, but Jesus says, do unto others, love others as you would want to be loved. Jesus calls us to actively engage this kingdom living. That we have responsibilities toward each other. In the Micah passage, the, the person is saying, well, we, we've sacrificed, we do all these things, all these things. And Jesus says, I ask these three things. Do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with your God. These are the things of the kingdom. Our gospel lesson is known as the Beatitudes. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in, in Matthew. And amidst this sermon is the very times where where Jesus is teaching the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. But in these Beatitudes, Jesus starts off helping the people understand how we must be, who is it that inherits and engages the kingdom of God, who are the people that that will be really seeking um, as we think about the kingdom of God, the poor in spirit, the meek, the lowly, those who understand not themselves as the most important part of the kingdom, But the body as a whole. We have to examine ourselves and our experiences to open ourselves to the kingdom. I will say that the times I've engaged people who've seen glimpses of the kingdom have been on retreats or mission trips, and too often we leave that in that space. Oh, we experience the kingdom of God when I go to church on Sunday. That's not where the kingdom is happening in its greatest glory, it's all around. It's outside of these walls. Unfortunately, I think we compartmentalize our lives too much to to realize that, to open ourselves to that. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, I want us to begin to say these words, Thy kingdom come, and, and I hope we understand what we want in that and what we desire, that we're willing to take away our control of our own kingdoms in pursuit of a kingdom that, that may look foreign to us, but that we're praying to be open enough to see ever-present, breaking through into our world as it is in heaven. My prayer for you is that you will allow every part of your life to be open to engaging the kingdom of God. That the principles of kingdom living that Christ has shown and that you have experienced is not just something that happens when you're away from your everyday life, but, but it can be a present reality in all things, everywhere. That your home can be the kingdom of God. That your workplace can be the kingdom of God. That your schools can be the kingdom of God. That the most mundane of places in your life is a place where God's kingdom is present and waiting to be pursued. You know, amidst the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the people, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, may it be our decision and commitment to seek God's kingdom first and foremost in our life and in our ministry and in our world. In Christ's name, amen.